Welcome to the Bloomingdale Church Podcast. My name is Max Terman. I am your moderator, and with me this week is Esposo de la Pastora, Dan Marcello. Hello! Esposo de la Fotografa, <laughs> Scott Reed. Yeah, that's me. Y Esposo de la Cerebra Grande, Bill Cerebra <laughs> Grande. Cerebra Grande means big, big brain. Big brain. Big brain. Okay, I didn't know what Cerebra was. Uh, oh, yeah. C-E-R. Okay. Dan, will you pray for it? I'd love to. Father, we just open this time together wanting to invite you and your Holy Spirit into our midst. We want this to be a time that you really speak in and through us and to our listeners. And Lord, we just ask that that would be the case today. We want to honor you in all we say and do. And so, Lord, use our time together for your honor and your glory, we pray in your name. Amen. 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 Scott, you got any would-you-rathers today? I do. Got some more. I'm not sure what I'd do if you were like, no, actually. No. We're like, okay, move like, on. Well, moving on. Right. <laughs> moving on to topic of the week. <laughs> in the mood. <laughs> all right. We're going to do what we did last week. What is, the, what is what we did last week, Scott? Don't you remember? I, maybe the listeners don't. Well, that's why you can't miss an episode. It's just, <laughs> it's just right. multiple questions. Right, right, you're right. Don't and, explain it. And how it happens, you don't need to worry about it. doesn't matter. Big Brain's husband has spoken. Uh, Bill, would you rather sleep in the same bed with someone with poison ivy or sleep in the bottom bunk of creaking bunk beds with a 400-pound man sleeping in the top bunk? Oh, no. I'm, poison <laughs> ivy. Put me down for that. Wow. <laughs> yeah. I'm allergic to it, but I'm just hoping I can stay away from them. Fair enough. Wow. Is the other one for one night? It doesn't say. Are they both one night? It doesn't say for either. So. Oh, okay. They're the same length, yeah, I think in, we can assume, well, whatever sure. that length is. Yeah. Indefinite amount of time. Sure. Yeah. Scott and I had a bunk bed when we first lived together in the Roach apartment. We had a, it a, was full, real creaky. a full over full bunk bed. That's it was right. enormous. <laughs> it was enormous. We, the Titanic, as the it was Titanic. called. The Titanic. And uh, there, were t- there were times where I thought it might collapse and kill me in the night. <laughs> <You think, laughs> I, I welcomed it. Did you think you might hit an iceberg and drown? That's right. Oh, yeah. yeah. An iceberg Man. named Scott leaping into bed because <laughs> he was on the top bunk. I was. Uh, Bill, would you rather be hit in the face with a baseball-sized water balloon full of blue water-based paint <laughs> or wake up with a four-piece wad of bubble gum stuck in your hair? I'll take the balloon. Mm. I think you'd pull it off. I, I, you'd probably just keep on that preaching. Makes sense. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you'd be like, sit down, Eric. <laughs> barely, <laughs> barely a distraction. All right. And Bill, would you rather live in an all-cash or in an all-plastic world? Well, I'm living in all-plastic, so mm. I'll just take that. <laughs> It's yeah. fine. Living in an all-cash world is, after you lived in an all-plastic world, is sometimes hard. True. You sure. know what you couldn't do in an all-cash world? Amazon. Yeah, online purchases. Yep. Yeah. You can, you can do a lot of things, yeah. I, like, have so much, well, not so much. I don't have any cash lying around for you <laughs> criminals listening. <laughs> I just have, like, a good amount of cash lying around because we, you know, receive cash for whatever thing, and they're like, sure. just don't use it. An all-plastic world a... is dangerous, though, because what happens if all the banking systems go down? What about oh, your money? Yeah. What That's happens true, if yeah. we all stop believing that paper money is worth anything? Well, and we all true. lose our identities. <laughs> true. That's true. Hey, there's yeah. a lot of problems. Yeah. Max, tell us about the rocks at the bottom of the sea. All right, I'm going to tell this story about the rocks at the bottom of the sea. <laughs> Yay! So uh, there's an island. This is, again, it's a spoiler, but there's there's this great economics uh, story about uh, a society that lived uh, on a pair of islands, and the islands are separated by about a mile of, of sea. Um, and uh, basically their whole currency system um, 
the, these uh, men would journey uh, to the neighboring island where there was a quarry and they would mine some kind of stone, whether it was limestone or whatever, it doesn't really matter. Uh, and they would make these big discs, these big stone discs, and they put them back in the boats and they sail back to the home island. And the, however many discs they came back with, you know, those would be distributed to the people who, um, you know, that was how they avoided the barter system is when you graduated from the barter system, it was because you had this giant stone disc. And then when you made a big purchase, like a house or whatever, then you would give someone that disc and that represented like a big amount of, of asset of wealth. And they were like, we are so tired of rolling these discs around. So what I'm going to do is I'm just going to keep my disc in my living room and you now own the disc that's in my living room. And I'm taking this, you know, set of, of animals or whatever. Right. And so they did that for, for a generation or so. And, and one year there's this huge storm and they are sailing back with these discs from the quarry and the ship sinks and the men survive and they get to the island, but it's this financial disaster hmm. because they're like, we, you know, put all these resources into the ships and now all these rocks are like, we've lost them, you know? And their solution was like, well, now you own my disc that's at the bottom of the sea. And they're like, okay, that works for me. <laughs> so instead of having a disc in your backyard that someone else owns, you now own a disc at the bottom of the sea. And uh, that's how, that is the core principle of our economic system. <laughs> is that I don't have to see it. I just have to believe that it has yeah, value. Because it's just a number on a screen in a bank account, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Yeah. And we've all decided how much work it takes to get it. So we all know what it means. Mm. Yep. So... Uh, so I would go with a stone-based, all stone. Not an option. Fair enough. <laughs> if that were an option, of course, any sane person I mean, would choose the all, all stone. All right, Max, would you rather develop gills that work mm, and yes. are hardly visible? Or don't so you can get the or stones grow the wings that work but are ugly and conspicuous? <laughs> I'd go with them. I've always wanted to scuba dive. I've said on the show I before, know. my mother would never let me scuba dive, and this is my chance. Yeah. So that you can go dive and get the stones. I can go the get the, of the stones, scene. and then I'm the richest man <laughs> in the island. There you go. Uh, ironically connected, uh, would you rather dive from 20 feet high into 6 feet of water or from 40 feet into 10 feet of water? I need you to say that again. Yeah, that was kind of brain-breaking. <laughs> would you rather dive from 20 feet high yep. into 6 feet Ooh. of water Oh. or from 40 feet high into 10 feet of water? I think I got to go 40 and 10. I agree. Because I'm more than six feet tall, so I won't even be submerged. Well, from... you just got to do like a cannonball, a little egg. Maybe I guess that's true. Mix. But, I mean, ideally what you want to do is you want to hit the water and splay your limbs out. And so I think I would be a little worried about At what them. point are you splaying your limbs out? Oh, as soon as you're submerged. Oh, I see. Not, not on the way down. <laughs> <laughs> At the moment of impact. At the moment of impact. Um, I don't know if either of those is a good option. I'm going to go ahead and say, I think I'm wrong. I think I wish I had chosen the other one, but there's no take backs. Yeah, <laughs> I wish I had chosen 10 It's like feet. a real physics-based question. I'm thinking about how much have, 10 feet is, and it's actually not nearly as high as, as, as 40 feet. True. It's <laughs> even one quarter, you might well, say. I wonder what the say. maximum height you can fall from into water and still live is. Ooh. Well, Here's something really right. interesting. Wait. Go ahead. Um, so... As I'm sure you guys probably all know, you know, if you fall, if you fall fast enough, the surface tension in the water, when you hit it, it kills you. Yeah. Bear Grylls taught me in an episode of Man vs. Oh. Wild that if you're falling in a water and you can, this is obviously a pretty unique scenario, but if you're like, know that you're about to fall in a water and you like throw like a rock or something beneath you, breaks the surface tension 
and you don't die. Mythbusters taught me that that wasn't true. Well, I think he actually Are did it. Are you so. disagreeing with Bear Grill? Are Even you disagreeing with Discovery Channel? <laughs> yeah. So, well, who knows if it's true? Take a Bear Grill represents future. Alpha. We got to believe him. According to Dr. Stone, uh, jumping from 150 feet or higher on land and 250 feet or higher on water is 95 to 98% fatal. 150 feet? I know. Well, but you're going to land on the ground. I know. I'm just saying. That's, that's so high. Does that mean like 140 feet? Like you you, like you got could, like an 80% or a 20% well, I don't know chance how, of I don't know how it trails off, but that's where you can. That's amazing. Okay. I well, I believe you could fall from 70. Listeners, if you've fallen from 70 feet and landed on land, please send your story to podcast at bloomingdellchurch.org. Sounds true. painful. All right, Max, would you rather have all your senses diminished by one third or lose one sense altogether? You know, I'd lose my sense of smell. That's fair. What are my options? Touch, taste, sight, smell, hearing? Balance. Smell. Balance is not a sense. Yes, it is. There are way more than five senses, and balance is one of them. Is this true, Dan? Yeah. Well, there are the traditional five senses, but I didn't know there were more. Yeah, there's a sense of how much time has elapsed. No, that's true. <laughs> well, then I would lose my sense of rhythm. <laughs> <laughs> no, we need you. <laughs> You're going to have to find a new drummer, you jerk. All right. That's a good point, Bill, because we can all tell how much time has passed. Yeah. That's just a life experience because I don't think kids can do that very well. They're like, one minute goes by, like, has it been like an hour? Yeah. That's right. <laughs> yeah, you got to learn. I'll work on what sense I'll lose. All right. To learn to sense. Fair enough. Yeah. Uh, Dan, would you rather have to spend your entire natural life as a 63-year-old person <laughs> or as a 13-year-old person? Hmm. I know what Bill I think, would take. <laughs> I think pro- probably 63-year-old because I don't want to have to go through my teen years again. Well, you're not going. No, through you're not going to. You're just going to be one. Going to be there out for your whole yeah. life. Yeah. Well, you'd be in middle school forever. Ugh. Would you just be that? No. Then no one really take you seriously in life. He's like, oh, you're just a kid. I mean, you certainly wouldn't be able to do anything. Like That's drive true. or you couldn't vote work. Or yeah. Yeah. who's going to take care? Yeah, of you, you couldn't even have like a like. You I can't have a job. I won't hire you. Um, Dan, would you rather find out Santa Claus doesn't really exist at age three or age fourteen? Spoilers. Oh, I ripped the bandaid off early. Wow. Three. Three. Fair enough. And would you rather always feel like you almost have to sneeze or have everything that touches you tickle? Ooh. Oh, that sounds equally bad. Yeah. I feel like I'm about to sneeze all the time. The tickling, right. I think, would just get to me. Fair enough. Uh, well, I wanted to ask. Uh, that makes life difficult, though. I have a question about Santa Claus. We put a disclaimer in the Christmas episode of the podcast when people started talking about the true identity of Santa Claus. Is that something that we have to, like, avoid in, a ch- in like, a church service? <laughs> oh, yeah, you do. Because David has spoken where it was coming off like there is no such thing as Santa, boy. Some adults came up and let him have it. That's, you know? that's Cause, so cause interesting. he's screwing it up for their children. Well, sure, know? but, like, I don't know. We believe in God. Shouldn't we? doesn't seem weird to dance around the existence of one supernatural being because we know he doesn't exist. But, like, to be really firm about the existence of another, like, shouldn't we just be really black and white about it? I don't know. That's what we do in our family. How do you handle the morality of Santa Claus? <laughs> That's what we ta- taught our know. daughter that there's Podcast no Santa Claus. <laughs> That's on, what we taught our daughter there's no such thing as Santa Claus, not because we're trying to kill her joy, but we don't want her to get confused later on and be like, well, you said Santa Claus was real and he's not. What about God? That's what I'm saying. We just didn't want to cause confusion. Yeah, that's a good point. I don't know. I don't think I ever actually believed in Santa Claus. I think my parents took the same thing. Though my parents are not fanciful people in any sense of the term, <laughs> so it would be very difficult for them to convince me that Santa Claus was real. But like, yeah, like, do we have to? Be, do I need to put a disclaimer on this episode of like, I don't think there's a lot of like ten year olds. There's any listening. like six year olds or less. 
Yeah. Yeah, I don't think you have anything to worry about. All right, good. All right. Dave Wormington. I'm really sorry. <laughs> Dave Wormington is Santa Claus. When he grows out his beard. True. Um, <laughs> would I rather see everything upside down or hear everything backwards? What? <laughs> I think I'm going to go with see everything upside down mm-hmm. for two reasons. One, I think I would adjust. That's reasonably well. Yeah. And two, I would still be able to make sense of it. Hearing everything backwards, I think. When does it stop? It just never. That's like like. It'll be unintelligible. What do you, mean you hear everything backwards? Like yeah. you hear everything backwards. How do you hear sounds backwards? Like sounds have an origination, yeah. but they don't have like an end. They just get quieter and quieter. Magic. Do you hear things from the end of your life? And I mean, then you but eventually you... catch up to them and they cross paths. Like Benjamin Button. <laughs> like Benjamin Button, but, but for only hearing. your ears. Uh, great question. It's terrifying. Great question. Who is I this woman's know. voice? What does she want? <laughs> I don't know, but you're going to hear a lot more of her. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Go on. All right. Would I rather have a painful pimple on the inside of my nose for a week or a bad cold sore for the same length of time? I'm going to go with a pimple. Good choice. <laughs> Thank you. I feel very firm. Jeez. Yeah, well, the reason why is... <laughs> oh, I wanted to ask Cold you sores, one, you can pass those on to people. Mm, true. You don't pass pimples on. All right. I really want to ask this one of you, Max. Do it. But I'll ask it. No, no. Ask it to me. I'm not afraid. All right. Max, you get the last question. Thank you. Would you rather have everyone think your spouse (laughs) is an idiot and a jerk? (laughs) Whoa. Or (laughs) that she's just really, really ugly. (laughs) Good thing you're not married, Max. No one can hold this against you. <laughs> That's true. That's true. That's like when CVS called me and they're like, I'm sorry, we're looking for Mrs. Mackenzie Terman. And I was like, join the club. Pal. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, um, that is too funny. <laughs> it's, it's, it's so she's an either an idiot and a jerk or just really, really ugly. Oh, let's go ugly. That's fair. I think I that's mean, fair. Just everyone else thinks it. Yeah. Not you. Well, that's, I mean, I don't think that either way. But I mean, well, yeah, but like, I think if everyone else thinking that she's if we're going to share the gospel as a couple, they need to not think she's a giant jerk because that's yeah. a real bad testimony. True. Yeah. People having opinions about her physical appearance doesn't impact you. At no, all. maybe she can turn that around somehow. Well, w- once you're friends with somebody who's very homely, you don't even notice it anymore. Is it true, Bill? You just really don't care. <laughs> Is about that how you feel about me? No. <laughs> that's how he feels about your wife. No. But. <laughs> we had to be taught that Abraham Lincoln was actually a homely man. Hmm. As a kid, I just would look at that $5 bill. I'm so well, happy like, to have well, a $5 man. bill. Man, this guy's great. Um, <laughs> but but even now guy. as an adult, I think, well, yeah, there, I guess he was, but just he's such a great man. Who cares? Mother Teresa, same thing. Hmm. Pretty pretty homely, but but who notices? She's just such a great woman. Yeah. Nice. Bill or Dan, have either of you heard of... Um, Mother uh, Antonia, uh, she was a, a woman who spent like the last 40 years of her life living in a, living in La Mesa jail in Tijuana with the inmates hmm. and like oh, ministering wow. to them. And I was like, that's insane. And then I found out that she was like a Beverly Hills socialite before that. Wow. And then she did that. And I was like, whoa. Whoa. That's cool. So, that's that's awesome. commitment. Yeah. yeah. Be in jail with people. It, it was cool. Never heard of her, but you saying that thing about Mother Teresa made me think of it. That is so cool. Yeah. Wow. 
All right, it's time to bring back an old favorite segment. It's time for Sermon Roundup. Yeehaw! 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 Yeehaw. Sermon Roundup this week is brought to you by Get Unstuck. Have you taken the time to grieve even the simplest losses? Do you have a sense of purpose? Soul Care by Dr. Rob Reamer explores principles that can lead to lasting transformation and freedom for all who struggle with a broken, damaged, and sin-stained soul. Get Unstuck, a new adult education class on Zoom starting March 21st at 9.45 a.m. For more information, visit bloomingdalechurch.org slash adult ed. Bill, do you know who's teaching that? I think this one might be... Diane Paisley. Yeah. Wow. Oh, yeah. Nice. Awesome. How do people end up teaching adult ed courses? Do they just say, I want to, I have this course I want to teach? Combination of being recruited and people volunteering. Man, that is so cool. Uh, this last week, Joe Z gave a fantastic sermon about sacrifice and what uh, we are willing to give up in the name of Jesus and what we can give uh, to Jesus, specifically talking about um, the story of. Mary, correct, who's pouring oil on uh, Jesus's head? Or is it just a, a, a woman, an unnamed woman? No, it's Mary. It's Mary, yeah? Mary. Okay. I actually did a little bit of research into that because there's four accounts right. on each gospel. And they have different details. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty wild. And uh, What's up with that? I don't know. But one thing that I was reading said that it seems like it was multiple occasions. Yes, because in the Luke account, I think it's Luke 7, it's a woman who's apparently a prostitute. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And the one in John 12, Mary, this is pretty much the last week of Jesus' life. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's the lady that was neat. crying at his feet and kissing him and yeah. was wiping his, his feet, feet with her hair. With her hair, yeah. yeah. Was yeah. the prostitute in Luke. Yeah. 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 And I think Mary anointed his feet. Hmm. And the one in Matthew, Matthew and Mark seems to be like the same account. And they anointed his head. Hmm. And Matthew says it was in Simon the leper. Yeah. And right. Luke says it was in Simon the, the Pharisee. The Pharisee. Hmm. And John doesn't really specify, but it sort of implies that it's in Lazarus's house, but it yes. doesn't say that explicitly. Right. Well, so let's take a little bit of a left turn with that, because that's something I'm I'm really interested in, is how do we... Is the conclusion then that if it shows up and the details are different in each account, then that means it happened four or three times? Like there are some events that are described similarly, but not quite the same across a couple gospels. Is that like, how do we sort of handle that? I think at times it's the same occasion, but it's extra details that this person got inspired them in a different way to write about it from a different angle. Mm -hmm. So that's part of it. Yeah, as I was trying to make sense of this, because we were, you know, talking about this a bit in our in the Bible study last week. I forget why we started looking into it, but Leah and I did. And and there, and this particular, you know, like Dan said, there's lots of stories where like the details are slightly different, but not in like necessarily a prohibitive way. Mm-hmm. But th- these stories do seem to have some semi-prohibitive details, like. Simon the Pharisee versus the leper. Like a leper wouldn't have been able to be a Pharisee, right? but maybe he became a leper later, but that seems unlikely that he would... Anyway, uh, and then the timing, Luke seems to happen way earlier in Jesus' life. Um, Mm -hmm. And so as I was reading through it, I kind of came to the conclusion that like, you know, this is kind of a weird story, but like Jesus lived an extraordinary life. So like, there's no reason why this couldn't have happened more than once or something similar couldn't have happened more than once. Mm. Um, And like, that's fine. Mm. We don't necessarily need to like look at 
the same story and, and assume that it was the same exact occurrence every time. Like Jesus was around for 33 years and John said, you know, only written down some of the things. We wrote down mm. all the things. Right. Yeah. And the world couldn't contain the books. So mm-hmm. I think it's probably some of both. I like that answer. I'm thinking too of Jesus sends out the 12 or the 70. Sometimes don't take a staff with you. Sometimes take a staff with you. And it's not a case of Jesus, make up your mind. It, it's mm-hmm. it's a case of he sent them out multiple times. Mm-hmm. So the writer's yeah. remembering one time in, say, Luke, and Matthew's remembering another time. They're both right. Mm. It makes me think a little bit of um, of the story with the blind man when the Pharisees ask, or someone asks, like, who sinned, him or his mm. parents? And Jesus is like, no one sinned. Like, this happened so that the power of God would be on display. Like this man was blind, so that the power of God was on display, more or less. That's kind of what Jesus is saying. Like there's no reason why in the house of this Pharisee and in the house of this leper, and maybe even in a third house, like two or three instances, who knows, um, that this didn't happen for God's worthiness to be on display. Like if someone can be born blind for that to happen, like certainly someone can come and, and sacrifice him perfume. Like right. God can orchestrate that for his purposes. Yeah, for sure. So let's, in Joe's sermon, he makes this comparison of Judas betraying Jesus for a month's wages and, and this oil that Mary mm. pours over him costs, you know, like a year's a year. wages. Yeah. I want to kind of compare them separately and then we can talk about how they relate to each other. But why is Mary willing to like pour this out for Jesus, like it's, he describes it as, you know, it's, is prepared for his burial. Um, but you know, it's, it's not like she necessarily knows that he's about to die, but also like it's perfume. It's, she's just pouring him on him. And by the end of the day tomorrow, he's going to smell like normal Mm -hmm. again. Like why do that? One thing that I see in the Matthew account, um, in Matthew 26, verse two, Jesus says to his disciples, as you know, the Passover is two days away and the son of man will be handed over to be crucified. Now, I don't know for sure if um, the chosen's portrayal of the disciples is necessarily accurate, but one thing that they show that I never really considered is that Mary Magdalene is like there all the time. Hmm. Like she's just with Jesus as much as, you know, Peter is. Uh, And so it's very possible that this woman, uh, whether it was Mary or whomever, was with them when, when he said that, um, or that she had heard him say any number of other times that he was going to be crucified. Um, and so looking at the, you know, again, you know, the chosen is an artistic, artistic portrayal and and the skit guys video we watched in the service over the weekend is an artistic portrayal, but, but more than likely, you know, this perfume that she had was like her most treasured possession. Hmm. Like if it was really worth a year's wages, Hmm. um, you know, in the video, it was described kind of as like an heirloom, I think. Maybe yeah. that's true. Who knows? But at the very least, it was incredibly valuable. And she seems like she definitely could have known that in just a day or two, Jesus was going to be gone. Um, <clears throat> and so to me, it kind of seems like if all you, like if, if you're with Jesus and you know who Jesus is and you know that you only have a couple days left, like you might go to some pretty extreme measures to just show him how much you love him mm-hmm. uh, to sac- you know, to show him, you know, if you believed he was the Messiah and, and who knows, you know, we see that 
the disciples did not always, rarely, in fact, had like a good understanding of the Old Testament scriptures. But like, if for some reason this woman knew like what was going to happen, mm. like to show Jesus, like this is like my I give up. I'm giving up everything for you mm. because I know who you are. Mm. So like, even though it's just, yeah, it's perfume, but like mm. it's it's perfume that's worth a year's wages. You know, it's probably her treasure. Mm. Yeah. And she's giving it to Jesus. I mean, it's kind of speculation on my point, my part, but she must have had a relationship with Jesus in the sense of known him, seen him at work, maybe have benefited somehow from a, maybe he healed her or, you know, did something on behalf of a family member where that was like an expression of outpouring of worship. Like Joe talked about extravagant worship. I feel like extravagant worship on the large part comes from experience that we have with God. Hmm. And what we've seen him do and work in our lives. And, and then that just is an outpouring of praise on our part saying, thank you. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, again, I can't back that up with scripture, but it seems to me that's plausible. I think in our relationship with God and, and in our giving to him, but even just in human relationships, there's a certain joy, I think, that comes mm-hmm. from giving above and beyond like what is reasonable or expected. Like there's a bit of a sting but then once you like kind of get past that, mm-hmm. like it's so sweet to just be able to give someone this like extravagant gift, mm-hmm. like how much more so with God. And I, I think she's, she's experiencing that. Mm. On the flip side, talking about Judas's payment, right? For, for betraying Jesus is about a month's wage. And this is a guy who, um, who was, who was stealing from the treasury, right? Who, when people give to Jesus's ministry, like he's skimming off the top. So like, it seems like he probably by not betraying Jesus could have made some, kept making money off of that anyway. Mm-hmm. And, and Joe talked about how this event is what pushes him mm-hmm. over the edge. And that's what shows up in the passage of immediately he goes mm-hmm. and he says, what will you give me to turn, you know, turn him over to you? Um, why is Judas willing to settle for so little? I don't know if he was after the money Mm. as much as wanting Jesus to kind of cooperate with the way he wanted him to do things. Mm. Maybe his expectations weren't being met Mm. of what he wanted Jesus to do. Mm. Maybe he wanted Jesus to be, um, and it's not in there in scripture saying, yes, I want Jesus to get rid of the Romans, but maybe that was what was on his mind or was had a different expectation of what the kingdom of God was going to look like. Yeah. And then maybe that led to frustration in his life of it's not happening on my timetable. It's not righting the wrongs that I see. Man, I just we needed to force his hand essentially. And hard to know. I look forward to finding out more when I die and go to heaven. Like, <laughs> what, what, what was his motivation? What exactly is? Because, yeah. I mean, we don't know mm-hmm. fully. But hard to fathom betraying even one of the other 12, let alone Jesus himself. They've been through so much together. Mm-hmm. Wow. I wonder if um, if Judas didn't necessarily know like what was going to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, correct me if I'm wrong, Bill or Dan, if there is somewhere that indicates that he does know that Jesus will be killed because of his action. But it, yeah. you know, it doesn't say, you know, in, in Matthew account anyway, which is the one that I'm looking at right now, he just says, what are you willing to give me if I deliver him over to you? Yeah. And then, you know, at the Last Supper, Jesus said, the one who has dipped his hand in the bowl with me will betray me. And so I just, I wonder if, if there was, you know, he, was, he wasn't necessarily trying to get Jesus killed. Maybe he was, but if it was just more of like a, a kind of like what Dan was saying, like, this isn't really working out exactly like I want. Maybe if I hand Jesus over to the Pharisees, like, he'll get knocked down a peg and, 
he won't be so pious about the money. Who knows? Yeah. Um, but I don't necessarily think he was trying to get him killed. Um, no, because we see it in his response that he felt remorse. Yeah. And it wasn't really true repentance like we talked about last week because it didn't lead to a change of behavior. It led to like that crushing guilt. Right. Like, mm-hmm. look what I caused and then caused him, unfortunately, to lose hope and despair and then take his own life. Yeah. But he did at least, he had that step of returning the money. He was, probably was horrified of like, what, what have I caused here? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I never really thought of that before. Mm-hmm. Dan brought it up. That Judas is trying to force Jesus's hand to break out of this nonviolent way of doing mm-hmm. things. Mm-hmm. And say, okay, well, now that I'm in this corner... I'm going to be the king. Mm. I'm going to raise up mm-hmm. the army that destroys Rome. I never really thought of that before, but mm. that that's really plausible. To that, I want to ask with, uh, you know, when we give up to God so much of our time and our energy uh, and our money, um, even just being in relationship with him, right? Sacrificing time to be with him, you know, to read the Bible every day or, you know, to, to go to church, to um, giving up things that our minds could be focused on, to focus on him or to focus on things that are from the spirit instead. Like when we're willing to give up so much, why are we still tempted and willing to cash out for like small empty things, whether it's like lust or wealth or status, or pride, or, you know, any number of things, like these little tiny hits are willing to to turn over for mm. when we've already come so far and, and given so much, like, in our lives. Shows how flawed we are, really. Mm, it does. Yeah. yeah. N- none of us are proud of it, but you put your finger right on it. Yeah, we do that. It's like, that makes no sense at all. And we don't want to do it so many times. It's like no. Paul in mm-hmm. Romans 7 who rescued me from this body of death. I'm doing things I don't want to do, the things I know I should do, I not doing them, and vice versa. It's probably the, one of the greatest apostles and greatest evangelists struggle with that. And certainly mm-hmm. we will too. Yeah. yeah. And he's not a young guy when he's writing mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. You know, it's you're a lot different as a human being when you're, say, 23 and your hormones are just pulsating through your body. Mm-hmm. Paul's not 23. Probably in his 50s or 60s when he's writing that. Just never lets up, does it? Mm, uh, mm, mm, yeah. One thing that gets talked about plenty is like God and, like I can have God and something else. Mm-hmm. And I think that temptation to like, I've given up so much for God and now I can have like a little bit of like payment mm. on the side. I deserve uh, it. Yeah. I've been working hard. I've been, mm-hmm. I've been following God, but mm-hmm. why don't I get a, a break to go back to some kind of sin that I like. Yeah. Or even it'll spare me from pain. Mm-hmm. Like I am tired or I'm hurt or I'm mm-hmm. whatever. And like, it'll give me some control or give me some relief from pain for this yeah. completely. Or it'll, you know, fulfill me if, it, if it's mm-hmm. like a career thing, if you're a workaholic, mm-hmm. if you're, um, you know, if you're desperate for a higher status uh, for relationships with people mm-hmm. to be different. Um, and I do think that's because of that, hole in us that's only fillable by God. Mm. Um, and that desire that creeps in, as we talked about, I think last week when God is quiet, um, or isn't actively saying something mm. to us, that panic can set in and we can start grabbing everything that's around us and trying to jam it 
uh, jam it into ourselves to try and make ourselves feel whole. Yeah. Um, well, let's get into topic of the week, Dan. You you uh, referenced Romans seven, which is a, a pretty good segue. Uh, but topic of the week this week is brought to you once again by the Young Adults Bible Study. Yeah. Woo! But why some say the Young Adults Bible Study? Why choose this as our goal? And they may as well ask why we climb the highest mountain. Why 94 years ago fly the Atlantic? Why does Rice play Texas? Texas. We choose to go to the Young Adults Bible Study in this decade and do the other things, not because they are easy, but because they are hard. Because that challenge is one we are willing to accept, (laughs) one we are unwilling to postpone, and one which we intend to win. The Young Adults Bible Study at Bloomingdale Church is a community of believers and seekers learning how to love Jesus more fully and going through some of life's most challenging years together. The Young Adults Bible Study every Wednesday night in person in the coffee house. Visit bloomingdellchurch.org slash adults to learn more. Thank you, John F. Kennedy. And I was going to say, the uh, Young Adults Bible Study itself is sponsored by John F. Kennedy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, for topic of the week this week, we want to talk about scripture. Psalm 119 says, thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path in the King James Version. That reminds um, me of a song growing up. Go on. I know. <laughs> uh, that, that was the words of the song right there. I'm not I think I know the song you're talking about. Oh, yeah. It's it's a good song. Go for it, song. Scott. Sing it for us. No. Every week no, Scott's we like, the no. same conclusion. Uh, <laughs> the psalmist there is referring to Scripture when he says, Thy word is a lamp to my feet. Is, is, the psalmist is referring to Scripture. Am I, am I using that? I believe that so. I think so. Um, I think this is a pretty good transition from what we were just talking about, especially when it comes to temptation. Um, but even in, in, I want to talk about this in a broader sense, not just scripture as a, as a self-defense, but scripture as a purpose, scripture as a way to see God for who he is when things are going well. Um, we want to talk about scripture memorization, and I want to start with why is it important to memorize scripture? I think memorization is something all three of you have, have done quite a bit of. Uh, Scott, always, you know, you when we were in the Glee Club, you always memorized your devotions you gave to the guys. Uh, you memorize your your sermons, Dan. You're memorizing your sermons as well. Trying to. And Bill, you've done quite a bit of both. Why is memorization and that internalization like so important when it comes to Scripture? Well, it changes you. Hmm. How so? It reminds me of that Gatorade commercial. Is it in you? And you see the blue <laughs> coming out of the skin. And yeah. That's. What scripture is meant to do, you get it inside you and it, it changes you and mm. changes the way you think. John Wimber was the great preacher out of Anaheim. He started what's known as a vineyard movement. Mm. He said something 25 years ago, really resonated with me. He said, we have our minds soaked in a secular way of thinking, just seeing things the way the world sees them, even if it's not logical said, we really cannot see things scripturally. Our mind just isn't doing it. And so in order to fight that in his own life, he would read all four Gospels every single week for years on end. I think it helps us, it helps keep things at the forefront of our minds Hmm. in, in circumstances where we've committed something to memory it's an extra opportunity for the Holy Spirit to use it because that's one of his roles mm-hmm. so to remind us of the things that were written down. And so remind us of God's word, things that Jesus has said. And so it's that extra kind of oomph when we face temptation. We've hidden God's word in our heart, so to speak, like Awana says. Yeah. Then it's that opportunity we give for the Holy Spirit to, to do that work. 
in, in a deeper level in us and say, oh, yeah, there's that, oh, yeah. Scripture says, you know, do not covet. Hmm. But just as an example. Sure. Hmm. One thing that I think is um, that the longer that you're a believer, the more, at least if you're, you know, in church and you're studying the word and you're trying and like the more familiar you'll become with the Bible. Um, and so even if it's not rote memorization, you'll find passages, you know, coming mm-hmm. to mind. Like, I know this is scripture. I've read this. Um, but that takes a long time um, for that to just happen organically. And and even still, it might not happen depending on your personal circumstances. But anyone can, well, unless there's some kind of, you know, mental impairment, anyone can can memorize a scripture and, and now that verse is in your mind. And, mm. and even if it kind of fades a little bit over time and you can't quite recall the exact wording, like you still remember what it said, like the gist of it. And, you know, I think that there's something that is just so beneficial um, to knowing what the Bible says, because there are, there are things that are going to happen where someone will tell you the Bible says something and, and you can't super easily disprove them, you know, just out of being familiar with the scriptures because proving something's not there is a lot harder than proving something is there. Mm. Um, but you know, to know if you're more familiar with the scriptures, you can say, that doesn't, that doesn't sound quite right. It doesn't sound familiar to me. Um, or, or with music, that's something we've talked about before. If a song says something, that doesn't sound quite right. That doesn't sound like what the scripture says. You know, I know the scriptures, um, at least reasonably well. Uh, so I, I think that that's, that's a benefit is you just kind of can become more discerning. Like it's certainly, Mm. you know, it's always helpful to have your Bible in hand, but I mean, the Bible is a big book with lots of stuff in it. Like, you're not necessarily going to know exactly what you're looking for if all you have is your Bible. Like, you know, Google might help. But if all you have is your Bible and you're like, I don't know if that's quite right, like, you won't know where to go. But if you've steeped your mind in the Scriptures and you hear something that's like, no, I know that's not right. Hmm. And even if you can't necessarily, like, have a discussion with a person to point out exactly why it's not right, like, you know in your heart that's not right. You haven't been swayed. Yeah. And, like, that's the first step. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. And Romans 8 has something similar in and about um, letting your mind be controlled by the spirit, letting your, not your sinful nature control where your mind goes, but letting, you know, the Holy spirit uh, let it, let your mind settle on things that are pleasing to the spirit. Um, And I think to, to combine all three points, like having your mind be filled with that makes that a lot easier. Mm. Um, And I want to push back a little bit on uh, something that I think gets assumed a lot about, you know, about, about God, at least where I come from, of like the fact that matter is that God is the God of reason and God is the, the God of logic, um, that he made the world. He's like a master watchmaker. Like mm-hmm. <laughs> you can see how intricately he has designed things and there is order uh, and, and the absence of God is chaos, right? Hell is chaos. He holds all things together. And so if he holds all things together, then being steeped in his word, like you said, uh, Scott and, and Dan and the is it in you thing, like it helps us understand what things we can understand and also helps us understand what things we can't and say, okay, this is beyond me. And if you want evidence of that, ask Job or ask Ephesians, ask Ecclesiastes to say like, God is the first to say like, where were you when I was building these mountains? Where were you before creation? Because as Scott said, I think before we started recording, um, you know, before creation was, was the father and the son and the Holy spirit. Um, and they were in relationship. And so, uh, I think that, helps 
Um, that's a big help, at least to me, when it comes to where my mind goes, what avenues my mind goes down when I have to make sense of something difficult or mm. painful um, or even something good. Like, am I going to account this to me or am I going to account this to, to who God is? Um, I think when it comes to reason and when it comes to, to logic, like having scripture helps you follow. There are many kinds of logic <laughs> and mm-hmm. having scripture helps you follow, um, you know, follow uh, where the truth is mm-hmm. um, completely. What passages have you guys memorized? Um, you know, what, what passages have you guys memorized over the, the years? Bill, what passages haven't you memorized? Really? <laughs> uh, that's kind of why I'm like leaning over here looking yeah, at Bill. Don't put me on like, a spot to I love when, when you preach, Bill, and you oh, recite the, uh, the verse that you're preaching instead of looking down at your that notes That was one the of Bible. the first sermons I ever heard here was you okay. just kind of went off and like did <clears throat> 20 verses or something and then you preached on it. And I was like, this is amazing. <laughs> so to answer your question, I try to memorize the passage I'm going to preach from. It's getting harder and harder. Mm. I mean, it's... It's getting harder and harder. I, mean, I just can't get over how much harder it's getting. Yeah. So those days may be numbered, but I mm-hmm. still keep trying because I think, well, at least you're meditating on the scripture mm-hmm. while you're trying to memorize it. Yeah. I memorized the book of Proverbs. Like because like all of the book of Proverbs? Mm-hmm. It took me like three years. Whoa. The reason why I did it was there was a woman in our church named Donna Agar who could read people like a book. And just within five minutes, she'd know more about that person than you could fathom. And she was so good with people, Mm -hmm. really just the best. So I asked her, how is it you can do this? And she was really flustered by that question. This is maybe the only time I've ever seen her flustered. You didn't really see her flustered too often. (laughs) No. So finally, she just blurted out, well, I do read the Proverbs every day, meaning today's March the 3rd, so she would read Proverbs 3. Well, she's been doing that for, say, 35 years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So she probably, whether she knows it or not, she probably has them memorized. Mm. I thought, okay, I'm way behind. I need to get with it here. So I took that on as a memorization project. Mm. But then I memorized some other books. The biggest one probably is Gospel of John. Mm. I memorized Hebrews, James. When I was working on ordination, I memorized the first eight chapters of Romans wow. to get all that doctrinal material. Sure. And then there's a bunch of, well, not maybe a bunch, but there's several Psalms that I memorized. Does and then it, topical things like just a box full of verses. Yeah. Uh, so I figured out one day, it's around 100 chapters mm. that I memorized. Wow. But if you said, hey, Bill, can you just recite the book of James for me right now? Nope. I'd have to go back, rememorize it. The nice thing is it does go a lot faster the next time around. Hmm. Hmm. Does it ever lose its meaning when you're memorizing so much? I'm not sure I follow you. Well, do you ever get so focused on remembering the words that you can oh, miss like, out on what they mean? Get focused on the task of, I got to write this to memory. Yeah. I think what you're saying, Max, or what you're asking is more or less like, if the mechanism of memorization kind of gets in the way. Yeah. In my experience, I'm sure there are brains that work differently, but like if you're focusing on memorizing the mechanics, exactly what the word is, exactly what the sound is, even when we get down to like really the phonetic level, that's just going to make it like impossible. Mm. Memorization is so much easier when it is based on meaning. Yeah. 
when you know Mm -hmm. what you're saying and not just how to say it. I mean, I found that true actually now that I think about it in, uh, in college when I was singing pieces in other languages, like I don't speak the languages, but it was a requirement to know what the word for word definition was. And that made it easier to remember because, Mm -hmm. you know, you, you know, this just kind of nonsensical German sound, but I know that it means this. And I, Mm. you know, remembering, remembering meaning, I think is much easier than remembering just mechanics. Mm. Yeah. Most of my memorization is done by association. So you have these pictures in your mind and just kind of run this little movie through your head. And that's what I'm having trouble with now. I'm just not able to come up with a little movie like I used to, Mm. but that's, how these people, this might amaze you, but there are memorization contests. Mm-hmm. There's like a world champion and <laughs> they'll throw a list of like 50 items at them and give them a couple of minutes to read through it. And then they need to recite that list. It's because they've all, they've got all these associations mm. and they've got these associations even memorized. You know, they can do it with numbers. You can throw like 10 digit numbers at them. And they, they just memorize it like that. But that's um, that's at a whole different level than me. I mean, they're way beyond me. But at least the, the you know the rudiments of it. Yeah, I I was doing that. That's why I don't really like it when I don't want them to show the scripture on the screen while I'm reciting it because mm-hmm. I'm doing it for content, not for every single word being perfect. Mm, sure. And so I see people with their Bibles open, and, and all they're doing is checking how many mistakes are you making. Mm-hmm. And they're missing the whole point. You know, the, yeah. the idea isn't here to correct my mistakes. The idea is to hear the Word of God. Yeah. And that's why I put a lot of effort also into voice inflection. Mm-hmm. I've come to the conclusion the last few years, one of the mistakes that we're making in ministerial training is we're putting a lot of emphasis on what does the Greek say? What does the Hebrew say? It's like, well, wait a minute. How did Jesus say this? Mm -hmm. Was there a twinkle in his eye? Was there a lilt in his voice? Was he angry? How did he say it? Because how you say it really communicates way more than even what you're saying. Mm -hmm. That's why I like um, Jeremy Kluth so much. The guy, Mm, the young guy who came this summer, yeah. did a bunch of scripture memorization kind of dramas, I guess you call them, or performances mm-hmm. for us. And that just blew me away because just the inflection and the just the amount of work that he put into it and making it come alive, yeah. it really made a big difference over someone just being like, and then Jesus told them. Right. <laughs> really. Just like, he just embodied the characters and really made all the difference. My daughter was like glued to it. It was like, I can't wait to hear that again tomorrow. Oh, I know. That was good. In Mexico, I had to memorize a bunch of passages in Spanish really? one like a week. Oh, there was a certain number. I thought it was like 52 of them. So. Whoa. And I don't know if I could like build, remember all of them right now. I could probably remember a couple of them. Hmm. Um, so that was real, a good experience. Yeah. And just getting familiar with the language of Christianity in another culture. Because, hmm. I mean, we have a very specific way of talking in the, in the church. Completely. Yeah. That's distinct from the way people talk on the street. Yeah. I enjoyed that. That was a lot of fun. Um, I, you know, when I was a kid and then in, cause I went to a Christian private school before college. Um, you know, we had, and actually even in, at Wheaton, you know, there was things that we memorized for class and, but I haven't done a lot of just personal memorization. I did a couple years ago 
kind of got on a, I don't want to call it a kick because that makes it sound like trivial, um, but it, it was just sort of a brief season. But I did memorize some passages. I memorized... Um, was that right after Chick-fil-A? Probably. Uh, I don't know. I can't remember exactly what the references were. But I, I'm relieved, honestly, to hear Bill, you say, you know, I can't recite that now. Because, like, that was something that I was finding really burdensome as I was approaching memorization was, like, upkeep mm-hmm. of, like, the things that are already memorized. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's nice to hear you say, like, well, I can't I can't recite that now. Because yeah. um, that kind of takes the pressure off, like, well, you don't need to have the whole Bible memorized at once, but just, like, yeah. rem- you know. Because I do remember what the passages said, maybe not word for word, but there were three of them. Uh, two of them are very familiar, and one of them has come up on the podcast before. One of them was Second Corinthians 1, 9 to 10, I think. And then, uh, oh, actually, no, it was it was 8 to 10, I think. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experienced in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death, but this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. Um, he has delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us again. I can't remember where I stopped. And that many people will give praise to God for the mm, You skipped a part. Nice. It's okay. It's unimportant. It's okay. He tried. Um, <laughs> that was one of my favorite verses. I know it is. Um, yeah, so that was one of them. And then the other two are a little bit better known, but let's see if I can remember where they are. Um, yeah, so the other one was, uh, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness. This also is in the translation I memorized. This is the NIV. I think I memorized the ESV. So, um, so my brain's going to be upset with me, but therefore I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses and insults and hardships and persecutions and difficulties for when I am weak, then I am strong. This verse in second Corinthians, um, is, uh, I feel like it's not well known enough. This idea of, I agree. Um, you know, this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. Mm-hmm. Um, like, I feel like that should just be one of those verses that people just say all the time, but they mm-hmm. don't. Um, but anyway, I was actually, as I was prepping or as I am prepping for my sermon in a couple of weeks, uh, I noticed Jesus says in Matthew 26 verse 38, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, which really reminded me of, of Paul saying in Second Corinthians, we were under great pressure so that we despaired of life itself. Mm-hmm. This kind of idea of, of being under such, um, you know, such a burden of, of stress that, that you feel like you're dying. Um, and what, and it's a really interesting parallel between those two, yeah, because then Paul says, indeed, we felt we'd received the sentence of death. That's what I thought. Uh, between those two verses, because then Paul goes on to say, but this was to rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. And we see, you know, of course, the story that he's talking about, God who raised, he's talking about Jesus. God raised Jesus from the dead. And so Jesus was in the same mindset as Paul, you know, kind of despairing of life itself. Paul says, we hope in the God who, who raises the dead. And Jesus was going into this knowing, he doesn't say it, but he knows that God's going to raise him from the dead. Mm. There's just some interesting parallels there that I'm trying to kind of tease out yeah. a little bit. And like I said, it's a, it's a lesser known verse. I definitely would not have, it wouldn't have come to mind as I was doing sermon prep if I hadn't memorized it. Mm. Mm. I think there's also like a real connection to verses that you've memorized in the past. Like 
Um, there's a couple sections of Ecclesiastes that I really love that were really a big part of, you know, really reigniting my, my faith when I, I quit my job, um, back mm -hmm. in, in 2018. And like, um, even just hearing you say like, Oh, second Corinthians, you know, one, eight, one, eight, it's just like getting really excited and be like, yeah, it's that one. And then mm -hmm. like hearing it read, it's like, that is the verse. That's man. my verse. That's, that is glory to God. It's beautiful, and yeah. I think it, it does help you engage. It helps you connect, and it helps you be like, man, this word is like food. This mm -hmm. is like air. This is like how I survive is by the word of God, by the hand of God. Um, and I think it's it's beautiful. Um, to wrap up, what, what advice can we give? Where's a good place to start? Where's a good place to start if I've never memorized scripture before? Or, um, you know, because I think memorizing scripture is... I don't want it to be like a huge undertaking where it's like, well, I got to, this is going to be my new part-time job is I'm going to memorize <laughs> scripture. And by the end of 2021, I'm going to have three books memorized or what have you. Like, you know, having even three verses memorized, I mean, second Corinthians one, eight is a great place to start, but having, having, uh, just three verses memorized can be so fundamental. Like where is, how do you start? I think you're right. I think starting small is good. Setting like small achievable goals, so you're not like, well, I'm gonna memorize Psalm 119. I'm mm. gonna start right there. Like, oh man, that's a huge goal that yeah. You bite off too much, more than you can chew. You might get discouraged and give up, which you don't want to do. Mm. But I'd say start with what are some of the verses that have really spoken to you in the past, whether or not you have them memorized or not. And what what really kind of gets your your juices flowing mm. and do you really enjoy? Yeah. And so start with that. Yeah. Even if it's like John 3:16, you don't have it memorized. Yeah. Yeah. Start there. And will it come to mind too? Not just having it memorized somewhere in the back, but like having a verse that will like come to mind and that you can mm -hmm. think about and that will, you know, be relevant to, to mm -hmm. your normal ways of thinking that can interact with your normal thought paths. Yeah. Um, whether it can be a support <laughs> to your normal thought paths or a barrier to your normal thought <laughs> paths to make you think in a, in a more God honoring or, mm. or, or such way. Yeah. Yeah, I was thinking similarly, um, just like start where you are. Mm. Um, you know, there's not, there's not like right verses to have memorized. The Bible says that all scripture is God breathed and useful and mm -hmm. you know, that God's word will not return void. So if there's some, you know, if you're reading through whatever, any book in the Bible and something stands out to you and it just really speaks to you in that moment, like what Dan was saying, something that really speaks to you, memorize that. Like that's not the wrong verse to memorize just because it's yeah. not the John three sixteen of the world, like who cares? Like yeah. God's speaking to you through that verse, memorize it. And, yeah. and like you said, Max, you know, you'll, I think be able to, as you meditate on that and as you memorize it for years to come, even if the memory of the, you know, the exact wording of the verse starts to fade, like you'll connect with where you were and how God was speaking to you in that moment. Yeah. Um, just by taking the time to try and memorize that verse then. Uh, in, in a way that, you know, you'll lose if, if you don't do that. Um, mm -hmm. You know, you'll lose that moment that God spoke to you. Yeah. Uh, not in like a really horrible way, but like you just won't remember it in the same way. Yeah. Start with John eleven thirty five. Jesus wept. <laughs> <laughs> Boom, you already got one down. You got one down. <laughs> the references. It's, all, it's, it's, all, it's it, You already got some there traction, go. right? Yeah. Like, yeah. I don't know how many verses are in the Bible itself, but you're like one... Mm -hmm. Seven thousandth, who knows? <laughs> yeah. I, interested in I, I like what you said. I like that a lot. I'm thinking of my daughter when she was five years old, she would march around the house saying, I see people. 
they look like trees walking around. <laughs> and then she would just burst into laughter. And I'm thinking, why does she like that verse so much? It just meant a lot to her. You know, she's just picturing people looking like trees walking around. And I thought, why is that verse even in the Bible? That's just a, this is a bizarre thing to have in the Bible. So then that's on my mind for about 25 years. <laughs> and then, <laughs> just a few days later. And then one day in Alpha, Nikki Gumbel is teaching about when you pray for somebody for healing and they're not healed right away, just pause and wait and maybe lay hands on them a second time because this is what happened. And he, he recites that verse that... Mm. Mm. Jesus asked him, how do you see anything? And the man says, I see people. They look like trees walking around. And Jesus like, we're going to pray again. And, and then the man gets healed on the second attempt of Jesus. But, huh. So that's why that's in there, that you just keep praying. Mm-hmm. There are 31,102 verses in the Bible. 31,102. Okay. Wow. More than I thought. <laughs> True. But if we divide that evenly among the four of us... Seven <laughs> Easy. And do one a day for the next 10 years. That's right. You'll have half of it. <laughs> it really is amazing that I think of Chinese believers who face persecution. They just memorize giant swaths of the whole Bible. They, don't they have, can't carry it with them. They can't carry it with them. Yeah. So yeah. some of them, I, I'm mm-hmm. pretty sure if I'm remembering correctly, I've memorized the entire Bible. Yeah. It just blows my mind. Mm-hmm. They have such a hunger for it mm-hmm. and no access to it hardly no because it's been access. restricted. Joe says that in order to get into universities in Arab countries, you have to be able to recite the Quran. Like all he of says, it? people are memorizing the entire Quran and they don't even know how to read. Whoa. They don't even really know what they're saying. They don't even get it, but they're memorizing it. And you think, man, how humiliating that is. I do read, I do understand the scriptures. Mm. And this guy's memorized essentially 80% of the same amount of material mm-hmm. as we have in the whole New Testament. Wow. That's going to be a lot to answer for before God. You know, <laughs> why didn't you spend some time my word? How about these guys with the Quran? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know what to say about those guys with the Quran. <laughs> but, but then Joe went on to say there's a, there's a whole culture of memorization. Mm. That many, you know, we, we just don't have it here in the United States. We just say, well, I'll just Google it. But mm-hmm. other places, they memorize everything. They don't even have paper to write it down with. Mm-hmm. So their memories just become phenomenal. Mm-hmm. But, huh. Yeah. And I think that's pretty close to what Jesus's culture was like. That yeah. They didn't have paper to write it down. And there was no such thing as checking your cell phone. So they, they would memorize the scriptures and meditate upon them while they were farming and fishing and it was life-changing i i'm I'm pretty confident that all the ones that were devout probably had all the psalms memorized because they were singing them while they worked right right listeners if you would like to be part of the show you can send questions would you rathers trivia quizzes and things you have memorized to podcast at bloomingdalechurch.org for our closing segment this week, we have given up bets for Lent, and so it's time for round two of Where in the Bible is Carmen Sandiego? Good, thank you. We've got three passages. Do you want to finish it? 
That's all I know. We've got three passages of scripture, <laughs> and you fine gentlemen will tell us the book, chapter, and verse references, and the oh. winner, of course, gets jelly beans. You get a, Today, a you get jelly beans? for the book, a point for the chapter, a point for the verse. You're the president. It, okay. You tell me. It's today. How much? How many jelly beans are in the jelly bean bank, Dan? Give to Dan what is Dan's and to God what is God's. When it comes to <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> kidding. Uh, we all know you're serious, Dan. <laughs> uh, on the th- all right, let's get started. Uh, I almost just read the reference. <clears throat> you should have. <laughs> On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, They have no more wine. Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied. My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Mm-hmm. Now I'm doubting myself. I'm going to stick with my wedding. Oh, no, that's tough in our <laughs> Just write Acts by any chance? No. <laughs> Romans. Right after we answer. <laughs> Why? I know. It was Psalms. Right. Bill. I put John 2, verses 3 to 6. <sighs> and he has the whole book memorized. Uh, Scott. <laughs> I put John 4, 25. And the reason, the one that I put before was John three seventeen. I was just kind of like <laughs> feeling it out. And I was like, wait, that's impossible. <laughs> I want to change my answer now, but I can't. That's too bad. John 3, 1. It's not. It is John, John 2. 2. It's John 2. 1 through 5. 1 through 5. Good job, Bill. Well, well done. Well done. Well done. We so all got the book. A point to each and three points to Bill. Good job, Bill. Um, Woo-hoo. I have, as as Scott requested last week, I decided to be more lax with the uh, range. Thank you. Uh, with the range of verses. So we're going to give, give points to Bill for that. So Bill with the perfect score so far. Dang. Good Rescue job, me from my enemies, Lord, for I hide myself in you. Teach me to do your will, for you are my God. May your good spirit lead me on level ground. In the church I grew up in, when you're in fourth grade, your parents like pick a verse for you and you're given a Bible. Hmm. That was the verse my parents picked for me. Nice. Starts out, rescue me. This is all in the NIV. Rescue me from my enemies, Lord, for I hide myself in you. Teach me to do your will, for you are my God. May your good spirit lead me on level ground. Dan. Psalm 45, 3 to 4. Scott. Psalm 70, verse 4. Bill. All I've got is Psalms. I, I have no idea. Uh, it is Psalms. It is Psalm 143, 9 and 10. Well, we were in the right book, so everybody. In the right, in the right book. Mm-hmm. I do want to say, uh, does anybody know what the reference of Psalm uh, 119, thy word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path? From like the what King? the verse is? Like what mm-hmm. the verse is? Mm-mm. Mm-mm. 105. I was trying to find it earlier. It's so like... long. It's, <laughs> it's really it's, deep into the chapter. That's the acrostic one where they go through the entire alphabet. Yeah. Um, all right. And the last one, last chance to catch Bill here. For in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait patiently for it. In the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness, we do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. Scott, you got that look in your eye like you're full of confidence. I got that look in my eye like I should know where that is, but I just have no clue. (laughs) All right. Scott. I have no clue. All right, we're going to go with a big zero for that Let's one. Then. Go with Bill next. Not uh, me. <laughs> I'm scared. Uh, well, right. Bill. Romans 8, 25 to 29. And Dan. Romans 8, 23 and 24. 
Uh, I'll give it to both of them. Give three points to both. It is Romans 8, 24 through 27. So you hey, both, we both landed do. in there. All right. Well done, everyone equally. You all did very well. Unfortunately, Bill is the most equal. Uh, Good so job, Bill. Wins. Congratulations. Yay! Enjoy your jelly beans, Bill. That is all the time that we have this week. Thank you, Bill. Thank you, Scott. Thank you, Dan. Thank you, Thank Max. You, Max. Scott, take us home. You've been listening to the Bloomingdale Church Podcast, brought to you live from Bloomingdale, <laughs> Illinois, the heart of the nation. <laughs> You've been listening to the Bloomingdale Church Podcast, brought to you live from Bloomingdale, <laughs> Illinois, the heart of the nation. <laughs> It is live when it's recorded. It's we're live. We're live. We're live. Now. Don't get me wrong. Atheists. <laughs> I think that um, <laughs> that thing we did over the weekend with the youth banquet, they referred to Bloomingdale, the heart of the nation. They did. They they did. They I caught they that did. too. I was yeah. like, podcast reference. I know. Live from here in the heart of the nation. <laughs> <laughs> like, nice. uh, Bill Calvin's we're legacy. Heart of the nation. Bill Calvin's legacy is set in stone. I, I was glad that you guys caught that too. Oh, it was amazing. <laughs> A podcast is making its own church. Bloomingdale Church Podcast Church. <laughs> BCPC. BCPC. Have you guys ever heard of Diego Maradona? <laughs> the soccer player? I don't well, smoke. He passed away. Well, what you Argentinian guy. Diego Maradona. He, created, he was a really famous Argentine soccer player. Oh. And he created a church after himself. He died <laughs> last year. But I don't know if the church How's continues. How's the church doing? I don't know. Okay. It's the Church of Maradona. Wow. Weird. Because apparently in the 80s, he had a famous goal in the World Cup, and they called it the hand of God because it hit his hand and no one saw. <laughs> so he accidentally see. cheated yes. and then made a church, church. about it. Exactly. Huh. It was founded October 30th. There's a Wikipedia page about this church. 120,000 to 200,000 members. It's almost Whoa. as big as the Alliance. That's, That's a lot of people. What is? What do they do? Is it a, is it is it a Christian church or is it a church of... The it hand says, of that guy. It could be seen as a, a syncretism or as a religion, depending on what religious definition one chooses to use. It was said by Alejandro Verón, one of the founders, I have a rational religion, and that's Catholic Church. I have a religion based on my heart passion, and that's Diego Maradona. <laughs> <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> I'd hope one day to have such a crazy statement come out of my mouth. And there's a Ten Commandments. I have such a passion for anything. The Ten Commandments are epic. <laughs> the ball is never soiled. Wait, these are the Ten Commandments? Yes. The oh Ten Commandments God. of the Maradona Church. The ball is never soiled. Love football above all else. <laughs> Declare unconditional love for Diego and the beauty of football. <laughs> Defend the Argentina shirt. <laughs> Spread the news of Diego's miracles throughout the universe. <laughs> Honor the temples where he played in his sacred shirts. Don't proclaim Diego as a member of any single team. Preach and spread the principles of the Church of Maradona. Make Diego your middle name. Name your first son Diego. <laughs> they, they range all over from like the abstract to the absurdly Insane. concrete. So that means that if your son becomes a member of the church, it'll be Diego, Diego. Diego, Diego. Diego, Diego. That's awesome. That sometimes happened... Was, was he like good? a real? Was he like really good, or was he just like pretty? Well, he good, was. He was really good. He was really good. Yeah, and then he got kind of probably addicted to drugs and all sorts of stuff, and, and then started he a got church. Got old and kind of large. <clears throat> okay. Yeah, and then started a church. The lighting in the Trinity. <laughs> this is unrelated to today's 
I was wondering about it. I was just reading it, and I was trying to take notes on it, and then I had to come over here before I finished. Is that an ordination book? Nope, just for fun. All right. Good for you. Yeah. It's good so far. He says something really interesting in the first chapter. In the first, in the introduction, he says something really interesting. He says a lot of interesting things. I hope the whole book is interesting. Check this out. He says... um, Especially in the post-Christian West, where the identity of God seems to have been pretty much universally agreed on for centuries, it seems obvious. Thus, Christians ask non-Christians whether they believe in God, as if the very idea of God is self-explanatory, as if we will all be thinking of the same sort of being. That, ironically, is often why we struggle with the Trinity. Instead of starting from scratch and seeing that the triune God is a radically different sort of being from any other candidate for God, we try to stuff Father, Son, and Spirit into how we've always thought of God. Hmm. Now, usually in the West, God is already a subtly defined idea. It refers to one person, not three. So when we come to the Trinity, we feel like we're trying to squeeze two extra persons into our understanding of God, and that is to say, and that is to say the least, rather hard. And hard things get left. The Trinity becomes that awkward appendix. Hmm. So used are we to fashioning God according to our assumptions that our minds simply rebel at the thought of a God who is not as we would expect. We imagine God to be a simpler being. Perhaps then it is not so much the seemingly bad math of the Trinity that puts us off as the sheer imposition of an unexpected sort of God. And then in the first, the first chapter is titled, What Was God Doing Before Creation? And he says something really interesting here. He says, uh, uh, if God's very identity... Wait, no, that's not the one I wanted to read. Where is it? Looking at the world, someone or something caused it to be, and that someone I will call God. God, then, is the one who brings everything else into existence, but who is not himself brought into being by anything. He is the uncaused cause. That is who he is. God is, essentially, the creator, the one in charge. It all sounds very reasonable and unobjectionable, but if I do start there, with that as my basic view of God, I will find every inch of my Christianity covered and wasted by the nastiest toxic fallout. First of all, if God's very identity is to be the creator, the ruler, then he needs to be, he needs a creation to rule in order to be who he is. Mm. And uh, so I'm only five pages in the first chapter, but he goes on to say, you know, who God is. He's not, he's not, he is the creator, but that's not like who he is. Who he is is the father. And for, you know, Jesus says, father, you love me before the creation of the world. Like that's what God was doing before creation is he was always the father and he was always loving Jesus. Uh, yeah, he used this really interesting analogy, which I think was, I'm assuming he pronounces it Henri and not Henry, but Henri Nguyen. Oh, yeah. You know that name? Big writer. Yeah, he he uh, had this moment where he was like at the circus and he was like watching the trapeze, I guess. And uh, and he, Sky and Henri, I guess, together, used this as like an analogy. And he says that faith is like when the trapeze artist lets go to be caught by the other trapeze artist. Hmm. And hope is what they're feeling as they soar through the air to be caught by the, and then, and then at the end, all that's left is the catcher and the caught together, uh, which is the Hmm. analogy for love. Man, that's good. It is good. That's good. Telling you three years from now, it's going to change your life. (laughs) Is that from with? That's from with. Oh shoot. I got it. It's from with. I got to read this book now. Monica, (laughs) this one's for you. She is cool. We should have her on the show. Which Monica? My cousin. Mark Lewinsky. Monica Lewinsky, my cousin. Uh, (laughs) I haven't told you about that. Um, If you want to hear a ridiculous podcast-themed worship service, you can go to bloomingdalechurch.org slash podcast dash service. That's podcast 
dash service.